Well, thanks for being here and tuning in. I hope that you're enjoying our service. I, I got a quick announcement before we, we dive in, and maybe you caught that before, but we're having communion next Sunday. And because we're doing things differently at church, we have a no-touch service. We don't pass anything around. Uh, we are actually doing that a little differently. So we invite you to come next Sunday. But if you're watching online, we want you to participate too. And the way you can do that, a couple different ways, is we will have the elements of communion here available Monday through Wednesday before Thanksgiving this week, 9 to 5. So you can just stop by at the main entrance uh, or the office entrance there and pick those up. And then, uh, and then on Sunday, we'll have those available. They won't be passed. They'll just be out. Or if you're online and want to join us and you haven't done that, then we're going to invite you to grab some juice or some, and some crackers or, or bread, and you can join us that way. So we're looking forward to that. We haven't done communion in a while because things have just been different. We haven't been wanting to pass things uh, through the aisles of our church, but we have a way to do that. We think it's important that we do it, so that's next Sunday, and don't forget that. We're in a series called We Are the Church, and last Sunday we talked about truth because part of our mission is to help people discover truth. We talked about Jesus being before Pilate, and Pilate kind of flippantly asking the question, what's truth? How can we know truth? And when he said that, he was standing in front of truth incarnate. And truth, Jesus, was actually trying to reach out to him, trying to connect him uh, on a per, in a personal way. And uh, Pilate uh, didn't, didn't follow up with Jesus on that, didn't go that direction. He did try to release him, uh, but ultimately he ended up condemning Jesus to death. And then we know after that, shortly after that, Jesus was scourged again. He went to the cross. Uh, he, he hung there. He was tortured to death by crucifixion, very horrific. And then he died. We know that he was then buried, and three days later, he resurrected after he resurrected, everything changed. The disciples were able to see him. Hundreds, if not thousands of people came in contact with the resurrected Christ. And the disciples, they turned fearless. And many, many people started becoming Christians. And as that Christianity spread, then they started taking that message, the disciples did, all over the world. And they started, when they did that, by taking it to Jewish people, mainly through synagogues that were scattered around the Middle East. During that same time, while that was happening, God saved a man named Paul. Paul became a believer, and then he started taking the message of the gospel to non-Jewish people, what the Bible calls Gentiles. And he started doing that. When he started doing that, one of the people that became a believer was named Titus. He was a non-Jewish guy. And Paul took Titus with him on some of his journeys. One time, Paul, actually more than once, he had visited an island called Crete. And he left Titus there so that Titus could establish churches. Now, Paul writes a book after, after that, and that's what we're going to look at in Titus. He writes a book called Titus. And it's a letter to Titus basically interacting with him 
about sort of to encourage him and to help him. It's a short letter to establish these churches and, and what his message should be. And within this short letter, Paul summarizes the gospel. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, we know that we want to help people. And these line up with our four purpose statements, right? Our four D's, right? Hey, the people in here is lit. lit. Second service, you're letting me down here. All right, there's four D's, right? Okay, the first one is we help people discover. Wow. That, that was a, you might not have caught that online. That was anemic. It was a terrible response. All right. Number one, we help people. We exist as a church. We are the church to help people discover. And, and when they discover truth, we help them decide on. Once they <laughs> decide on Jesus, wow. Well, maybe I just ought to stop this right now. All right, let's just move on. Yeah, we got the symbols right up there. Uh, but anyway, after you decide on Jesus, uh, then you should demonstrate change in your life. And then we should also deploy for others. So that's the four Ds. Help people discover truth, decide on Jesus, demonstrate change. That's how we know it's real. And deploy for others. And that's what we're talking about. Well, today, it's the decide on Jesus part. So we're looking at this. That's why we're interested in how Paul recaps the gospel, summarizes the gospel to Titus for him to share with these non-Jewish people. Now, so here's what we're going to see. He's going to summarize the gospel really in three steps. It just goes like this. Very simple. God knows you, and he's going to tell us a little bit about us. God knows us. God knows you. God loves you, and God has a way for you to receive salvation. He made a way, but you have to decide. That's the third part. Okay, so first of all, God knows you. I want to pick it up in Titus, and Titus is after the Thessalonians and the Timothys and, and before Hebrews. But anyway, Titus, short book, 3.3, three, it says this. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. So here's what I'm, Paul's saying, hey, God knows us, and this is who we are. We start out as people who are naturally inclined away from God. And so he describes it, he's saying, Hey, Paul's saying to Titus, this is how we were, and this is how the people you're interacting with, with, with are now. Foolish, uh, that, that ignorant, completely lacking understanding. Our hearts are spiritually clouded. We can't see. John says it this way, we love darkness rather than light. Paul says in another place in Romans that even though we knew about God, we didn't honor God, we didn't thank God for our lives or anything else, our hearts were darkened morally. We're foolish. He, he describes us as being disobedient. It's not just that our hearts are dark. It's that we disobeyed. Even, we've done things even that we knew were wrong. And we've failed to do things that we knew were right. It's part of the human condition. We see it all the time. Pam and I have raised three kids, and, and now we have six small grandchildren. 
And you see this in kids. Track with me here. You know, you, you have a child, and then the first thing is you're just trying to communicate with the child. They're making messes out of both ends. You're just trying to kind of communicate with them. And then you get to where you can sort of get some communication going. Then you start telling your child what they need to do. Do this, do that. And they generally kind of start doing it. It's like, this is great. And then about three years old or somewhere in there, they decide that they don't have to do what you're telling them to do. They, just, they figure this out. And they learn a new word when they're three, right? No. And you're telling them to do something. They're saying... No. And you're like, what? Where did this come from? We didn't teach them that. We didn't send them to a summer camp to learn about disobedience. They didn't need that, right? They just picked it up on their own. They, they realized, not by thinking that through, but they just came to find, they know they have a will. They, they realize, oh, I can say no. And they all do that. And so then all of a sudden, the, the the battle of wills commences. Hey, we all are disobedient. And then he says we're deceived. We're deceived in our own hearts he's talking about. We're deceived. A lot of times I think we blame our sin on other people. Well, you know, that happened back then. I was really part of the wrong crowd. You know, I got mixed up with the wrong crowd. Yeah, you were part of the wrong crowd because you liked the wrong crowd. You liked the wrong crowd better than the right crowd. That's why you were hanging with... The, you are the wrong crowd when you're hanging with the wrong crowd, right? We, we don't like to take that responsibility where it's like, well, you know, it's because of that, you know. You preferred the wrong crowd. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. We all did. We struggle. Even today, as believers even... Sometimes we struggle, uh, sometimes with certain sins more than others, and it's different for everybody probably. Or, or, or we'll have some big sins in our life, we'll become believers and we get rid of those, and then there are these, it's like, it's like the layer of an onion. It's like we get this big one off, and then, oh, there's some more down there, and we get that, and, the, and, we get, and we're just constantly working on something in our life. And if we're hung up on something, if there's some issue in our life that we're having trouble with, that we're struggling with a lot as a believer... Please know this. It's because we love that sin. We love it. That's why we have a problem with it. We love sin. That's who we are. That's the human condition. And uh, we need to understand that. That's who we really are. And then Paul describes it. We're enslaved. We're enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Boy, before we become believers, we have this, you know, some say God-shaped hole in our soul. We know that we're missing something. And we want happiness. We want satisfaction. We want to feel that wholeness. And we keep thinking it's out there somewhere. And so we keep trying to do all these things to scratch that itch, to make us feel whole, to make us feel satisfied. And none of that other stuff, it never lasts. The satisfaction never lasts. It never works. Be because we're designed to be in relationship with God. And when we don't have that, we know we're missing something. We just can't figure it out. What is it? It, it's God. And then Paul writes how we have 
issues, not just our own internal issues, but issues that affect our relationships. That's what he says in S. Next, malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. And I know some are sitting here, okay, yeah, I get the, you know, I know I have issues, but malice, hating people, that's not me. I don't really hate anybody. Envy? This is, this is in our hearts where uh, maybe a friend of yours or somebody you know or somebody you don't like, they accomplish something that you've tried to accomplish and couldn't, and you don't like it. Oh, they, oh, I deserve that. They got that. Well, I deserve that. Or someone you're in competition with, and they win. And we envy them, and then we, we have malice in our hearts. We don't think it's right. We, you know, it, it bums us out. It makes us angry. That's, that's hate. That's what he's talking about. All human beings. We are predisposed to sin. When it comes to relationships, we are predisposed to be suspicious of people who are not like us. I mean, we envy people who are like us. I mean, we have those issues. But when it comes to people that are not like us, maybe they look different. But I think most of all is we just think they think different. We're predisposed to be suspicious of them. And then it's easy for that suspicion to turn into distrust. We distrust people who don't think the way we think. And we're predisposed, listen to me, we're predisposed to thinking that we're morally superior. No! No, I don't think I'm better than anybody. We're, then we're predisposed to think that our thinking is morally superior to others. It's the same thing, you get it? We're pre, we kind of think the way we think is right, and it's more moral than the way other people think. We're not better than them, but man, they're kind of jacked up in the way they're thinking. Well, that is thinking that you're better. That's the issue that we're dealing with. And we, we start unwrapping these layers. We start peeling them off. And our sin is overwhelming. Because sometimes we're, even when we do good things, we're, we got mixed motives. Sometimes it's so we look good. So people appreciate us. So we get credit. And you start, and the deeper you go, the more layers you peel off, there's still more stuff down there. That's who we are. If we're just honest with ourselves, it's overwhelming. We have no hope in ourselves. Why? Because when all is said and done, we are guilty of sin. We are guilty. We are guilty and all of our sin, even our sin against other people, it's all against God. We are guilty and we are guilty before God. We've sinned against Him because He's telling us, don't be that way. And, and then it gets worse. God, by His very character, is justice. God is love, God is holiness, God is righteousness, God is justice. And, and we all sometimes want justice, but God is pure justice. And 
sin, then because of God's justice in this universe, sin must be punished. Because if it wasn't, God wouldn't be just. And people would say, well, why doesn't God just kind of get rid of that? And he could just love and not be just and sort of let everybody off. And if God can do anything, he could do that. No, that's not who God is. God is all loving, all righteous, all pure, and all just. It flows out of his character. And by the way, we wouldn't want a God any other way. We, we might think we would, but we wouldn't. And God's justice demands that our sin be punished. All of our sins. And we're all sinners. And the punishment is worse than we think we deserve. It's eternal separation from God and hell. That's what Jesus, Jesus talked about hell a lot. So don't think you're good with Jesus and you can dismiss hell. Jesus is the one that primarily talked about hell. He's the one that taught us about hell. And he's telling us that hell is where we all deserve to be as sinners rebelling against God. That's what we've all done, whether we realize it or not. We've all sinned against him. And we all deserve separation from God and hell for eternity. And if you're sitting here and thinking, well, you know, I'm pretty good with God, and I don't think I deserve that. I don't really think that I deserve hell. I don't think God would allow that hell to happen to me. I just don't think God would do that to me. If you're thinking that apart from Christ, you are overestimating your own morality and you are underestimating God's righteousness, holiness, and purity and justice. Don't do it. Don't think that way. And and if you're kind of thinking... That, well, well, I know Jesus, and I'm not as bad as other people, and because I, you know, and, and I think good about Jesus. I've never said anything bad about Jesus. I hardly ever take his name in vain. I mean, I, and if you're thinking somehow in all that, when we mix in the whole world and evil people and this and that and the other thing, and if you're thinking that you a little bit kind of deserve heaven, that you deserve to be saved, If you're thinking just a little bit that you kind of deserve to be saved, you're not. Because a true Christian cannot think that they somehow deserve to be saved. The whole point, the whole message of the gospel, the whole point of the Bible is to teach us that none of us deserve to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the correct penalty of our sin. We deserve to pay the penalty. All of us. I do. And there's judgment for sin. And it's coming. And it's the penalty. And so Paul first says, hey, God knows you. But when he's telling us God knows you, he's bringing us face to face with our own depravity. And then the next thing, and so it's bad news, it, it's killer. But the next thing he says is, God not only knows you, 
And he knows everything about you, knows every worst thing, worst detail, worst thought, worst action, worst secret. He knows all that. And number two, God loves you. God loves you anyway, is what I usually say. God loves you. Check it out. Next verse, verse 4. 4 to 7 says it this way. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God loves you. That's, that's the good news. It's the gospel. And, and by the way, I, I know some people are thinking, oh, okay, but I, oh, I get it. Oh, this Sunday we're going basic, we're going gospel. Got it. I got that. I know that. I can check out. It's kind of wondering, what are we doing for Thanksgiving? Do I got my Christmas shopping? You know, I, no, hang with me. The gospel is not something that we understand, decide on, and then move on from. The gospel is something we understand, decide on, and then we live it out every day. We never move on from the gospel. The gospel is what motivates every moment of our life once we become a believer. It's central to us. Paul, in another book to another church, Ephesians in 2.8, a famous verse, says, For by grace you have been saved for by grace, that's a gift, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's grace alone. It's a total gift that we receive only through grace. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, we don't contribute. What, what's that saying? We don't contribute anything to our salvation. Nothing. It's a gift. It's grace. By the way, that last phrase, it is the gift of God. What's the it? Because a lot of people you know, want to make a big point that the it is faith. We can only have faith. Even that's a gift. But it's not really limited to the it. It is the gift of God. The it means salvation by grace. It's the whole package. That salvation by grace, it's all a gift from God, he's saying. And then he says, look how he describes this. This is who God is. God loves us. He talks about mercy. Mercy is God withholding from us what we rightly deserve, which is hell. He talks about grace. That's God giving to us what we do not deserve, which is forgiveness and salvation and new life and even Christ's righteousness. And then he sort of does the what of salvation with three metaphors. Remember that I just read it? He said, washing of regeneration. This is the rebirth. We're washed from sin. We have a rebirth. Then the renewing by the Holy Spirit. This is not only are we reborn, we have a new life in the Holy Spirit. And then he, another phrase, the third one, he says, justified by His grace. And now justified, a lot of us have heard this before, that's court language. 
That's court of law type language. And what that means is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin so we no longer owe it if we've received that grace through faith. We don't owe the penalty anymore. It's been taken care of. And then we, through grace that we receive by faith in Christ alone, grace alone, only a gift, that we get through faith alone, that, that's the only way we get it, in Christ alone. And then we know, we have a relationship with God forever, we know that we'll be with Him in heaven for eternity. Now, when you say that to people, people will accuse you of being arrogant. Whoa! You're saying because you believe that Christ died for your sins, you put your faith in Him, that you're going to be in heaven forever? First of all, they'll say that's arrogant because how do you know your way, the way you say, is the only way? And the answer to that is because I believe Jesus, the only one who came back from the dead. I believe Him. So I'm trusting in Him. I believe what He said is true. I believe the gospel, this good news. Well, well, then, even if you believe in Jesus, even if that wasn't an issue, you're still arrogant because you're saying you know you're going to go to heaven. Like you know you're good enough. Like all the, Bi the Bible says all this stuff and you... No, no. Christians are the only people that can say, I know I will be in heaven and it's not arrogant because it's not anything that we've done. You guys think you're so good. No, no, it's the opposite of that, Right? No, we admit that we're so not good. We admit that we're so bad that we need a Savior outside of us because we can't do anything to save ourselves. Do you, do you understand that? It's the only religion where we can know we're going to heaven and we're not being arrogant to know that because it's just a gift. We don't deserve it. God knows you. God knows everything about you. Even the sins that you've long forgotten about, God knows you. And God loves you. But then that comes down to this. God offers you salvation, life with Him. But you have to believe. You have to decide. You have to have faith. You have to trust Him. God offers you a new life, but you decide. This is what every New Testament command, all through the New Testament, what do you hear? Repent. Change your mind about Jesus and follow Him. Repent. You hear that? Believe. Have faith. Jesus says, follow me. All those commands, they're all implying that we have a decision to make. We decide. It's all God, but we decide. Our will is mysteriously somehow involved. So if you're not a believer, and none of us start out as believers, if you're not a believer, then we need to realize that that you, you need to realize you're under the condemnation of sin, just like we've all been under the condemnation of sin. That we deserve hell. All of us do. But God offers to save you. Save me from what? From the penalty that you deserve rightly and justly. 
separation from God forever. I, Kevin Pinkerton, deserve hell for my sin, and so do you. And here's what he says. Are you catching it? It's not on the basis of deeds or anything good. He saved us, he said. God did it all. We just received what he's offering. Not on the, quote, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. No good that we can do. We're supposed to do good things, but no good things. And we can do some good things, but no good things takes away one bad thing. The good is what we're supposed to do. The good is what God created us to do. We don't contribute anything to our salvation. It's all God. We receive it by faith. Now, faith, faith is, it's belief. It's putting our trust in Jesus. It's putting our, our faith, our belief, our trust in Jesus that who he said he is, the God-man, that he's, he's the son of God, he's God incarnate. God in flesh, and that he voluntarily died to pay the penalty for our sins. The only one who didn't have any sin paid the penalty for our sins. And that penalty was him being tortured to death, killed as a substitute instead of us. That's what he's offering us, salvation from penalty of sin and I get that I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I mean, last I knew, it was sleeting outside. It's kind of cold, blustery day. You kind of wake up and you just want to go back under the covers, and here you are. Not to mention, you know, the COVID stuff. So, you know, there's all this stuff happening, and here you guys are here. But there's some here, I believe, with all my heart, and you're not saved. You don't really have a relationship with God. And you may have that suspicion. You may wonder. Because, because check it out. If, if following God or hearing His Word or talking to Him in a meaningful way, I don't mean just a habitual thing, but that you interact, you talk with God. If, that, if none of that's a priority in your life, then that's a sign that you may not know Christ in a relational way. Or if at some point when you got into the church habit, that maybe you first entered that habit and you turned to Jesus because you expected that if you gave your life to Jesus, then Jesus would make you successful or wealthy or that he would give you good health. Or give you a good family. God hasn't promised any of that. He's promising us salvation. And, and when we come to God, like, okay, God, I'll believe in you. because, And it's usually not all those things. It's usually one or two of those things. I'll, I'll believe you because I want you to make me wealthy. What we're doing is we are using God to get something in our life that we idolize. We're just using God to get what is the real God, the real idol in our life. God's not promising us that. God's promising us 
new life, that we can live with Him. Don't try to use God to pursue an idol. So whether you've been not been really interested in following God or, or maybe you sort of use God as a way to have the life that you pictured that, that you wanted to have, you can change all that today. You can simply receive His gift that He's offering for what it is. You could just take him up on his offer. So we receive salvation by repentance or by belief. Re repentance is just we change our mind about Jesus and, and we want to follow him. Okay, he's not worth following and now he's worth following. And so I'm doing, I'm living this way and now I want to live his way. And we don't do that perfectly ever. We turn our life to Him. And so that, that's, what, that's what Paul's saying. This is what we can have. If you're a non-believer, this is what God's offering. But it's just not non-believers. The gospel is for us as believers who have already understood and accepted God's gift, accepted the gospel. He, can, he will change us. The gospel will continue to change our lives. And we have an opportunity to change the world. When we embrace the gospel, he will change us because we're really embracing him. Look how this passage continues in verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. He's saying, Titus, this is what you say to these Gentile non-believers. This is a trustworthy statement. Statement And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. He's saying, hey, don't embrace the gospel. Does, that doesn't mean learn how to earn your salvation. He's saying once these people have come to Christ through the gospel, then God will change their lives, direct them Teach them God's morality so that they can follow that. It's only Christianity that, that gives us salvation where it's such a gift, it's such a finalized deal, that we are freed up. We have this new life. We are freed up just to follow Jesus. We don't have to worry about our salvation anymore. We are freed up to follow Him, to do what He would want us to do. Not that it would earn us salvation. We don't have to worry about that. It's all done. We can live our life with Him. And God will change our hearts. And He's called us to change the world. And so then He concludes, last three verses here, Verse 9 through 11. And he's just telling us, don't, he's telling Titus, do not get distracted here. Watch how it goes. Verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factitious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. He's saying, Christians, don't get distracted. We are the guardians of the gospel. 
We are the church. Now, what happens is we engage with people. We rub shoulders with people all the time. So don't get distracted. When you're engaging with people or talking with people or arguing with people, no matter what it's about, maybe it's, you know, it could be about anything. To, you know, in these days, it's usually politics or something related to COVID or something like that. Don't get all embroiled into those arguments. Don't lose sight of the main thing. Don't let whatever you're arguing about cover up the most important part of you, what is central to your life, following Christ. doesn't mean you can't talk about those things, but never talk about those things in such a way that it covers up your Christianity, that it covers up your desire to see them come to Christ. Don't get that wigged out about something. Don't get distracted from the message. Keep the main thing the main thing. But there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Yeah, I know. Proverbs 21.1 says this. The king's heart, the king's heart, meaning earthly kings. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. What's he saying? God can use good leaders or even bad leaders to accomplish his purposes. Well, what does that mean for us today? Well, hey, but, but I'm, I'm kind of, this election's really kind of getting me. Pray for truth in the election, no matter how it is. Pray for that, and then let God work it all out. And he will. Because we know the end of the story. I got to tell you, somebody in my life, somebody I'm close to, is a guy that we, we're both kind of passionate about stuff. I don't know how you are. Do you have relationships with people where you just kind of let it out and you, you argue and debate stuff? So I have a relationship with someone like that in my life. And so we would argue about God. We would argue about the Bible. And, and my concern is that he's not a believer. And, and we also th- see things differently politically. So we would argue about that. And, and these arguments got a little hot. I mean, we were always okay at the end, but I mean, they got, you know what I'm talking about? They got a little hot. And then, maybe five or ten years ago, it hit me that all my discussions with him about politics, all that did was drive a wedge between us. It drew, drove us further and further apart. And I realized that by doing that, it was going to make it harder for me to speak spiritual truth into his life. And so all of a sudden, it's like, hold it now. We're talking about God. That's worthy to talk about. But the other thing, politics, that doesn't measure up. I don't want that our conversations and our disagreements about politics would affect my ability to talk to him about the important things of God and Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so I just stopped. No more conversations about politics. It really wasn't that hard. I just predetermined, yeah, we're not going there. And he didn't have a problem with that. He, he didn't seem to want to go there either. Don't get distracted. 
Keep the main thing the main thing. God's given us the gospel. We are the guardians of the gospel. We are the church. If you can influence someone, point them to Jesus. It's the best way to love them and give them the only hope. Just like Jesus, the only hope for us. And that's our job. We are the church. We are the church. And the question before we close is simply this. You. Have you made this decision? Have you decided on Jesus, really? Have you decided on Jesus not as a way to get some other things that you might want? Not because, oh, I've always been okay with Jesus. I mean, I'm okay. Jesus is good. I, I think he's the son of God. But, you know, actively following him in my life, I guess I'm not seeing that. Have you truly come to Christ? you truly have a relationship with him? Because that's the most important decision that you'll ever make. And so before we close the service, and we're going to have a song, but before we close that out, I want to make sure that you have that relationship with Christ. And it's simply this. God knows you. He knows you're a sinner. He knows everything that you've ever done. He knows our motivations. He knows our reasoning. He knows what we think. He knows things that we've done wrong that we've forgotten about long, long ago. He knows you. God knows you. And God loves you. And because God loves you, He's made a way for you to be saved without violating His own justice. People say, well, God could just wave that away. He wouldn't be God if he waved it away. Instead, what he did is in an act of self-sacrifice, he created a way that we can be forgiven forever pardoned. by simply trusting in Christ, the only one who didn't deserve to die. And so the question is, have you done that? Just for him, not for something else, just for him. If you're not sure, because I, I was at a point as a teenager where I, I thought I did before, but I wasn't sure then make it real right now. And you can express that trust, that faith in Christ just by calling out to Him. If you're ready to put your trust in Him, if you're ready to, to respond to Him in faith, receive His gift, grace, through faith, then I'll help you express that in a prayer. Right now, I'd like everyone to close... Close your eyes, and even if you're sitting in your living room, don't miss this moment. Have you put your faith in Christ alone? Have you seen the change that he's brought into your life? Make this prayer your prayer. Father God in heaven, I understand that I have sinned against you. 
and I probably don't even realize the half of it. And I know you know me. And I'm so thankful that you love me. And that you've made a way for me to admit my sin and be forgiven of it by putting my trust in Jesus. And right now, that's what I'm doing. I'm trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. And I'm asking you to come into my life and help me to, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you're putting your trust in Jesus, as far as you know, for the first time today, there's something we want you to have. It's a, just a gift from us, a packet of information. Because I know some of you have questions. And so there's a book in this packet that will help you work through intellectual questions in a real way. It'll help you work through intellectual questions that you may have. It will, there's also a little pamphlet in here that will just walk you through the decision that you made today or that you need to make if you didn't make that today. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to, if you're here, you could just stop by room one, but most of you are online. And so what I'd like you to do is there should be a, a link uh, on your online platform. That's basically ohiograce.com slash card. If you just go onto that link, fill out a card, there's a check mark for I'm receiving Christ for the first time. If you check that, and if you have your, have your name and address there, we will send this to you this week. So that's what we want to do. We want everyone to have one. And so please uh, reveal yourself in that way. Or you can just, if, if you're not that uh, tech, just call into the church and say, here's my name and address. Can you send me one of those? Or stop by and pick one up. I want everyone to have one. Remember, as a Christian, God has covered us. With his blood, we are covered by his grace. That's what we